Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Here is God's word recorded in Romans 15, 22 to 33. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Our text begins with the transitional statement, for this reason. So he says, for this reason, I've often been prevented from coming to you. What is the reason that he's been prevented from coming to them? Well, what he had just gotten done explaining was the kind of ministry he had. And it was the kind of ministry the Apostle Paul had that caused him to not be able to do what he wanted. What he wanted to do again and again and again was to go to Spain and to go to Rome. He was prevented again and again and again. And so the Romans were irritated because they wanted him to come to their church so that they could spit in his face. (laughs) Now you say, well, no, they didn't want he wanted. And I say, no, they wanted him to come because he's defensive. You know, don't worry, I want to come. You say, well, why would they spit in his face? Well, because that's what people do with pastors. You know, people want to have the guy there so they can tell him exactly where he's wrong and what he's failed to do. And you know that Paul spent his whole life having that happen in church after church, right? You know? It's like they love him, but they hate him. Are you with me? They hate him, but they love him, right? And so the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I do love you. Now remember, he had never been around them. What a sweet thing that the love of Jesus Christ spreads to those we've never met. You all have noticed this. You can go to anywhere in the world, and you can recognize Christians. Again and again in my life, I've been being served by someone, and I've just had a sense, and I say, you're a Christian, aren't you? And they always say, yep. And so we love those that God has showered his love on. 
Because the love of Jesus binds us. And it's such a sweet thing that that love covers a multitude of sins. I was just talking to a man about him having been resentful about us for a couple of years and how close he was to leaving. And I knew there was another time where he was close to leaving for quite a while. And I said to him, but you love us. We love you. And I didn't say it, but what I was thinking was, how stupid. You know, what what are you going to do? Be right about something and turn your back on those you love? You know, knock your socks off. So the Apostle Paul is saying to them right before our text, look, I don't like to build on another man's foundation. Then he says, for this reason, I haven't been able to come to you. What you need to understand is the Apostle Paul has been committed to his mission. And his commitment to his mission has kept him from coming to Rome. He needed to go around from city to city and do what? Well, he needed to go around from city to city and collect his um, adulation by speaking at a conference and getting paid well and, and having a driver pick him up at the airport and flying first class. You ever seen the contracts all these famous Christians have? You ever seen them? We had a famous guy come here, and I got a two-and-a-half-page contract. And I've known him since I was an eight-year-old boy. Seriously. You have to fly first class. Seriously. You have to have a suite at the hotel. Seriously. And it went on and on. Two-and-a-half pages. Don't ever forget who you're dealing with when you choose to have a hero online and at conferences. I know these men. That's why I keep warning you against them. And the only person I haven't warned you against is John Piper. That's all. Do you hear me? Now, think of the Apostle Paul and the indignity of his work. Did the Apostle Paul go go around and collect kudos and Attaboys? No. As a matter of fact, what was the nature of his work? Well, let's think about farming for a second. There are different kinds of jobs connected with farming. There is bailing. There is picking, running a combine. The fruit, picking the fruit. There is cultivation. Yesterday, Mary and I were walking on uh, South Wana, and she said, I won't tell you what she said, but anyhow, she essentially said, look at that going by, all right? And what it was, was it, it was one of the sprayers, right? And it was going, I think, close to 40 miles an hour, right next to the curb. And you know how big those things are. They're monstrous. They're like, what, 10 feet tall? They're like how many feet wide and how many feet long. And that baby, I mean, the tires were were bigger than me. So you can drive a sprayer. You can set up irrigation. You can keep the canals that feed the irrigator clean. You can cultivate as the plants grow. You can fertilize. Are you all with me? 
the Apostle Paul did hardly any of any of that. What did he do? He cut down the trees. He dug up the stumps. And then he broke the hard pan with a plow. And then he planted, and then he left. Are you with me? That's the difficult work. And he said, because of these things, therefore, I have not been able to come to you. What was he doing? He was evangelizing. I wanted to read the section of what he said in the Areopagus in Athens. You read that, and it's, I just, ever since I've come to Bloomington, Every single time I think of preachers today, I compare them to the Apostle Paul in the Areopagus. And I think there is not a man alive today who is being as fearless and bold with the gospel as the Apostle Paul. You read that account of what he did with his life. And it was extremely difficult. He referred to them as ignorant. This is Athens, people. Ignorant. In the past, God has overlooked such ignorance. Think about that. <laughs> you know, think about going to a faculty senate meeting at IU. Or Harvard Square, you know? In the past, God has overlooked such ignorance, but now he demands that all people everywhere repent. How do you think that would go over? Huh? Now, This is his ministry, and he says, For this reason, I've often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions. And then he explains that he's not just coming, that he wants to come, but he's not just coming, okay? And he says this, And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you. Why did the Apostle Paul long to come to them? Well, we know later that it's because he was convinced that he would find refreshing rest in their company. All right, so it says that in the text. So he longed to come to them. But it's also clear that the Romans didn't think he wanted to come. And so he's having to defend himself that it actually is his commitment to his particular calling. And so for some reason, he's been set aside again and again, but he is, are you ready for this? Everybody awake. He is, are you ready? It's clear that he is aspirational. Ah. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Now, why am I getting you to think about the word aspirational? Yesterday, Mary Lee and I were downtown for breakfast because for years I've been wanting to go to one of two places that is said to have good huevos rancheros. One's the deli. And the other is a restaurant called the Uppity Cafe. (laughs) And when I was at ECC, certain individuals who I will allow to remain nameless were very fixated on meeting me for lunch at the Uppity Cafe. 
So since I've left ECC, I don't think I've been there once. Because it was just too uppity for me. So yesterday, all I wanted was huevos rancheros. Now, Mary Lee actually ended up eating them, but let's not get into the menu. Oh, my goodness, I had forgotten how aspirational the simple fact of a meal could be. I was there at 10 o'clock in the morning, and there was this, uh, okay, I've got to watch my language. Um, Okay, what? Well, okay. There was this woman. See, I don't like to refer to you as women and then use that word about her. But let's just say that there was this woman who was wearing a cocktail dress at 10 o'clock Saturday morning. I looked at Mary Lee and I said, I wish she had just put her pajamas on. It was like, seriously. Do it. Now, maybe if it was in the evening, everything would have struck me completely different. But it's Saturday morning. And there was black everywhere. If you want to know if any business is aspirational, just look at how much the black content is. And I'm not talking about skin. I'm talking about clothing. And it was... Oh, you know, it was like uh, Jerry Clower. Oh, sir, we don't have television in this, in this, you know. You don't? Well, they got television in 889 places, you know. Oh, but our clients don't want to be disturbed by the television. Listen, if there's one thing that I have noticed in the last 20 years, it is that complete movement of young people into living aspirationally. And it is appalling to me. It is appalling. The cheapness of the way you live your lives where all you want is to be known for your clothing and your haircuts and your shoes. I abominate it. It's completely gay. And you say, (laughs) no wonder you got censored on Amazon. I say, no, 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 I'm not talking about gay gay. I'm talking about gay. Well, what are you talking about? I say, it's soft man. It's effeminacy. It's a feat. Do you not know these words? Men have always known these words. And I tell you, Cutter's soccer teams know these words, and they use them. Because I've been to endless Cutter soccer games. And all the kids of the rich people on the east side are the only ones allowed to use these soccer fields. Because they can pay for them. You you realize this. And when one of the other team, or one of their own team, takes a shot on goal, and then acts as if they were just fouled and falls... It's called, come on, it's called diving. And they say he's so gay. And so again, don't you judge me for using the language that's used everywhere in the world that I live in. And so you're aspirational about your haircut. You're aspirational about pumping iron. 
You're aspirational about your countertops. I'm aspirational about my ZTR. What has happened to us that the church is not aspirational about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you care about the growth of the kingdom of God? Or do you just care about your countertops and your, your flooring? Now you say, Tim, shut up. I say, okay. But would you think about it, please? The Apostle Paul is describing his aspirations. Do they bear any resemblance to your aspirations? And you say, well, that's what he gets paid for. <laughs> I say, oh, yeah, that's the one thing you know about Paul is how he got paid for it. You know how he got paid for it? He got shipwrecked. He got stoned. He got beaten. He got starved. He got imprisoned. Well, yeah, but I mean, it was his, and this is what you'll say, it was his calling. And I say, oh, so I'm the only one that has a calling here? (laughs) You know, isn't that convenient? And that goes back to what I've been saying for decades. The pastor's the one you pay to be pious to prove it doesn't pay to be pious. So listen, when the Apostle Paul reveals that he burns with desire to build the kingdom of God, don't you be dismissive about that. Love the Apostle Paul. Haven't we grown to love him as we watch the difficulty of his work? Have you learned to love him? Honestly. And so the Apostle Paul says, I've wanted to come, but I have something else I have to do. Now, what is the something else he has to do? Well, it goes on and it says this. Now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now, listen, this is weird. Think about this. He's just gotten done telling them that he will not go anywhere. What? Where he's going to build on somebody else's foundation. <laughs> you know? Uh, let's see now. Jerusalem? He's going to go to Jerusalem. Uh, is there any foundation of anybody in Jerusalem? Uh, yeah, I think so. You bet you think so. And would you name him? Um, Well, um, let's see. When did that church start? Clue, Pentecost. Oh, yeah. Who was that that preached? Uh, It's the same guy that the Apostle Paul faced down in front of the whole church. You remember this, right? Remember in Galatians. He faced down who? Peter, the apostle Peter. Ho, ho, ho. That was the battle of the titans. You don't need to play video games. There's real stuff at stake there. Learn about the Bible. 
And so the apostle Paul faced down Peter in front of everyone. And now he's headed to Jerusalem. That white man better come bearing gifts. Now, you know, I just made a racial reference. Did you get it? You know, the old saying about, you know, the, the Europeans coming to the Indians, the Native Americans, and the saying is, white man come bearing gifts. Okay? Why did I make a racial reference? Well, he's taking money, isn't he? And you say, well, yeah, because it says what? He says, I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So he's taking money. Where is the money coming from? Macedonia. Where is Macedonia? Where is Macedonia? Macedonia was the first place that the gospel was preached in Europe. Remember, they had the vision of the man crying out from Macedonia, come and help us. And so he crossed over, and do you remember the first city he preached in? It was what? Philippi. Who loved Paul most of all the churches? Philippi. What is the sweetest book in the New Testament? It's Philippians. What was Philippi? Well, Philippi was a Roman colony. So you all know what's going on, right? In the first service, I asked any of the children to tell me what the significance is of this gift going to Jerusalem, and none of the kids could say anything. And I doubt any of you could. I bet you don't have a clue, right, Jonathan? That's something Hillsdale didn't teach you. So then I allowed the dads to... And finally, I just asked Brian Bailey. And Brian Bailey didn't get it. So afterward, Caleb Starr told me that I, that I was confusing by the way I asked the question. So I don't know. I'm probably confusing again. But do any of you have any idea of the significance of the Apostle Paul taking a gift from Philippi to Jerusalem and setting aside his gospel preaching to do that with his stamp of approval, his seal of approval? Why did the Apostle Paul do that? Anybody want to take a guess? Uh, Who said that? Are you a professor at the university? You are. And what's your subject? Math. Huh. Good job, you beat Brian Bailey. So open that up for them. What he said was Gentiles sending money to Jews. So what do you think is going on there, Chris? You better be careful, because if you're too wise, we're going to know more what you could do. Go on, open it up. Oh, there's tension. Really? How do you know there's tension between the Jews and Gentiles? 
Peter is over in the Judaizers. <laughs> he puts two and two together. Imagine that, a mathematician. Keep going. <laughs> so that created a tension. Now there was a resolution later, and then that made, this is a, maybe a reconciliatory thing, and it also cements that, in fact, God did call him to the Gentiles. Chris, I am so thankful for, for that and for you. Now, you all might say, well, why are you mocking him? Well, I'm not mocking him. I'm, I grew up in a home where my dad used to sit at the table with the whole family there, and he'd look over at me, and he'd say, you know what Tim's going to be when he grows up? And everybody would say, what? And he'd say, he's going to be a trash man, you know? And that was my dad's way to try to, to try to get me to earn a grade sometime in my 12 years of schooling that was above a C, <laughs> you know? Huh? My advisor threatened me that too. <laughs> Seriously, you're going to be a trash man. <laughs> you know, we're so bollocked up about race, and I keep telling you it's nothing new. It's just communal selfishness. And in, it is inextricable from human life, and it is evil. Are you with me? I'm not trying to get you to get used to it. I'm trying to get you to look at it and recognize it and not think that your mission in life is to deny critical race theory. It's so disgusting to me. I mean, seriously. That's what we Christians are known for is opposing critical race theory. I'm opposed to critical race theory. But I mean, that's so much further behind who we are as Christians. You know, it's like, oh, please. And so here the Apostle Paul is, again, doing the dirty work. And he's, his love for the Gentiles, he's so defensive for the Gentiles. You know, I'm reading in Amos right now, and I came across the verse, let, come on, let justice roll down. And immediately when I read it, I thought of John Perkins. The godly black man in the South who had a ministry of woking Christians to their obligations to care for blacks. I think of my father doing it back in the 50s. It's disgusting how Christians follow all the hotbeds of political ferment, but never take a stand based upon where true injustice is. And so now it's in vogue, it's aspirational, to be concerned about blacks. I don't give you a plug nickel for it. Honest, I don't give you a plug nickel. Because the political direction is that direction right now. What I care about is to see Christians who are going to go against the grain. And that's what you see the Apostle Paul doing all the time. He had the best credentials of any man in the New Testament. He was blue blood Jewish. And that blue blood Jew is the guy that went around being an advocate for the uncircumcised. Oh, how could you not love the Apostle Paul? You don't need to watch a movie. What's that movie about Scotland that you showed, Heather? Yeah, Braveheart. 
I mean, it's a great movie, but you don't need to watch Braveheart. Just read the Apostle Paul. And so here he is taking money, taking a bribe, and trying to get them. It was interesting. Andrew Henry came up to me in between the services. He said, you realize that when you give money, the danger is that people will misinterpret your desire to give money and will attribute to you a desire to manipulate the process. Isn't that interesting? And so he said, really, the Apostle Paul was vulnerable taking the money. And then he said, and the people that gave it were vulnerable by offering it because they could have them reject it. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Say yes. I've always wished that I didn't have to preach to whites. I'd like some response. So anyhow, um, here's the Apostle Paul lowering himself to being vulnerable to the rejection in an established church where not only the foundations, but the walls and the ceiling and the superstructure were all completed, going on to another man's turf and a man that he had faced down publicly. Listen, I want to tell you a secret. The secret is, I grew up with two fathers. My original father, Joe Bailey, who spent his life speaking up for the defenseless, having unwed mothers live with us. He was not ashamed to be on the side of the oppressed. He never used his national stature to service himself, never. And I remember him telling me about a, a woman that you all have huge respect for. And of course, he and my mother had known that woman and all her siblings and parents for decades. And he said to me, you know, so-and-so won't go to a place unless they get such-and-such. You know, so-and-so won't speak unless they have such-and-such numbers. And he didn't say anything more, and I said, well, Dad, what about you? And he just looked at me like, you stupid idiot. Seriously? I mean, he gave me one of those looks that dads will give sons, you know? (laughs) Seriously. And then he said, he said, I remember him shaking his jowls. He said, Tim, I've never made a decision based on numbers or money of where I will go. And my heart exploded. And I love my daddy. You know? And so here the Apostle Paul is in... Maybe not quite a Uriah Heap mode, but certainly what can be described as obsequious. <laughs> you know? Petitional. Aspirational. Standing up for the uncircumcised. My father in law was the same way. million in today's money that man gave away. His own money. 
why, why don't, why aren't I rich? You know, honestly, what a waste. His children aren't rich. <laughs> I was so proud of him. He gave away all the money from two of the best sellers for a decade or two. And then they gave away all the money from the left behind. Market capitalization of a billion dollars. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was not in it for himself. He was not trying to be cute with his haircuts. He was not trying to get a name for being buff. He was not making a name for himself with his countertops or his roses. Although, I love roses, sorry. And so I want you to love the Apostle Paul. If there's anything I want you to do beyond loving Jesus as we get to the end of our time in these apostolic books is to realize what a gift God gave us, not just in him founding the church, but in him leaving a record that makes us realize how humiliating his life was. And you know how humiliating it was? It keeps going in the text because he says, pleased to make a contribution. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they're indebted to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they're indebted to minister to them also in material. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, now listen to this. Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The word strive is the word agonize. Very intense. It's the word when two soldiers are fighting and one soldier comes to the aid of another one. How? Through prayer. It's not all the Apostle Paul. It's all God. He was the vessel. And the reason he was the way he was, I mean, I'm sure there were genetics and Jewish temperament, you know. I mean, there's a lot about Jews that you can recognize in the Apostle Paul, you know. But it was because of the prayers of the people. The people were agonizing in his behalf in prayer. This is my sin with this congregation, which you have inherited, most of you. I have not taught you to pray. I have other sins that I've passed on to you. But that's the chief one. And the Apostle Paul was so strong. And yet look at where he ends up. He says, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of to agonize together with me in your prayers to God for me. Isn't that beautiful? So you pray for your pastors. The temptations in the ministry are awful. And you think, well, yeah, I imagine it could be discouraging. Discouraging is, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that's, it's so much more than that. I had a man tell me last week that he wishes he had heard my sermon last year 
week many years ago. And he was crying. And afterwards, it occurred to me, he's been under my preaching, and I never told them him that before. I failed him, you know? Pray for your pastors that they will not trim the coin of God's truth. Right? Right? Can you see how tempting it would be to us to not visit your home? (laughs) Oh, my. Then he says this. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Yikes. Think about that. What he wants him to do is agonize in his behalf for the purpose of these two things, right? That he may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that his service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So on the one hand, we've got the disobedient. On the other hand, we have the saints. Imagine the humiliation of the apostle Paul wanting them to agonize in prayer for him so that they will not despise his gift of love from the Gentiles. The apostle Paul! And then, what? Well, the disobedient, okay, he wants to be rescued from the disobedient. He wants to be rescued from the disobedient and that the obedient, the saints, will accept the offering. Now listen, this is true of every church. Every church has in it the disobedient and the saints. And a lot of times the saints are actually disobedient. But the saints are generally saints and the disobedient are generally disobedient. And why would his sacrifice not be accepted by the saints? You know why? Because the disobedient have attacked him fulsomely. They hate his guts because he stands against them and they hate him. And so every chance they get, what do they do? Well, they point out his failures. They withhold their money from the church. They, oh man, they just wink. You know, they, they just don't quite approve. They This, that, and the other thing, on and on and on. Well, meanwhile, what's happened to the saints? Well, the saints are watching the disobedient, right? You know how, this is how it works. And so the disobedience hatred for your preachers are what cause you to not support, even though you're a saint, because he's covered with it, (laughs) you know? As I was preaching in the first service, I remembered an occasion where the most conservative Dutch Reformed denomination in the country, United Reformed Church, had a classis. So it was in New York, and it was a classis of New York pastors. And they asked me to come. They invited me to the meeting of their classis, and they asked me to speak on homosexuality and effeminism. Uh, Effeminacy, I should say. And so Mary Lee and I went out east, and we went, and there were friends. David Talcott had sent a bunch of students up from King's. Um, They were all ethnic. The rest of them were 
haoles, they call them in Hawaii. Whites. But you know, Dutch raise whiteness to a level that's pretty intense, if you know any Dutchman. <laughs> you know? I mean, number one, they're all tall, right? And so here are all these white guys, and there's some students from New York City. And so I get up, I speak, and I can tell there are people that don't approve of me. And this is a shocking thing because I've not had it before in my life. You know? <laughs> I mean, Esther has always approved of me, you know, right? Right? <laughs> She's not going to lie. I like that about her, you know? But I love you, and you know that. And so I'm talking, and all of a sudden, this pastor from Washington, D.C., just interrupts me. Now, I'm going to tell you the story. The story is that I was talking about the failure of the church to preach God's word on sexuality, and that it was a shame. And then Mary Lee and I had been listening to Moby Dick on the way out east, and I'd listened to that stunning sermon. <laughs> Am I channeling you, Anna? You could probably give it from memory, couldn't you? I'll bet you could. And do you remember the one statement in that sermon? It's the best sermon I have ever not heard in my lifetime. Seriously. And at one point, he says in that sermon, just in passing, he says, the pulpit leads the world. And that was so true to me, I'd never heard it before. And so as I was speaking about the, the, the abandonment of the preaching of God's word in the conservative church in my lifetime, I said, the pulpit leads the world. I didn't quote Melville. I just said the pulpit. And this man who was just waiting for his reason to explode against me had found it. Where does it say that in the Bible? You know, I'm giving this message and... He just, he just explodes at me. Where does it say that in the Bible? And, you know, I hadn't expect these dignified Dutchmen to just explode, you know? And so I had to think, and I said, well, you know, actually, the entire Scripture says this. It's everywhere in Scripture that the pulpit leads the world. Then I began to go through texts off the top of my head. I hadn't thought that I'd be attacked on the power of the proclamation of the law and gospel of Jesus Christ by pastors in the Reformed tradition, you know. But I was, I was thinking quickly. And so I said, well, you know, what does it mean when it says we've lost our salt? What does it mean when it says we put our light? What does it mean when the Apostle Paul says that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth? And it didn't satisfy him at all. And so he just started sort of yelling at me. You know? And after a few back and forths, I said to him, listen, I said, you know that I'm willing to talk to you about this. I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards, but this is subverting my ability to give the talks I've prepared. 
And so can we continue this privately afterwards? Or if everybody wants to come, that's fine. But can I keep talking? Well, he kept yelling at me. And so I finally looked at him and the other pastors there, and I said, listen, this is not tenable. I said, how about this? I said, since you are a member of this classes, and it is a meeting of the classes, would you please make a motion that I be disinvited, and I will be happy to go, because this is not tenable. But you have to make the motion and disinvite me because I've come because I'm invited. And it was silent. So I asked it again, and it was silent. And I was smiling. Meryl, tell him I was smiling. Where are you? She's in the kitchen. Okay. I was smiling, you know. I actually, at that point, would have been happy to leave. This is so, so sickening. But none of them were man enough to make the motion. And so I said, okay, then if you're not going to make the motion, disinvite me, then what I would like you to do is be quiet and allow me to do my work. And I looked at him. I said, would you agree to do that? And he wouldn't answer. I said, I want you to say that you will agree to do that. And he wouldn't answer. Now listen, it was discouraging, painful to me, very painful. But when I went through that, I knew that I was loved in Philippi. Are you with me? And that was such a comfort to me, to know that you loved God's truth. Not that you loved me, although I know that, but that you loved and wanted to obey God's truth, and that gave me such hope. Now, here's the rest of the story. How many of the people there do you think agreed with that disobedient man? What percent of the other pastors do you think agreed with him? Remember, they had invited me, and they knew what I was going to say. I'm going to guess that two-thirds of them agreed with everything I said. Okay? But do you know, as Mary Lee and I drove away, I got a phone call later that day, and the phone call was from the principal man who had invited us. And he told us that as soon as we left, there was a motion made, And the motion was that the tapes from the talks not be released and that it had passed. Do you see, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about the disobedient and then talks about the saints. He says, the disobedient, that I not be destroyed by them, but the saints, that they accept my gift, our gift. And I want you to realize that you may not allow the disobedient in this congregation to corrupt your faith. You may not live for the approval of other people in this congregation. Do you understand me? You live for the approval of God, not your parents. God. 
And when you live for the approval of God, you're often going to make decisions and do things which do not have the approval of some of the people that love you most and that you love most. I know if this country splits over abortion, my, my sister will be going away from me. And I love her. But honestly, don't we love Jesus? Did he not give up his life for us? I mean, honestly. And so the Apostle Paul is now at an end. And he says this, so that it may approve, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Oh my goodness. Do you guys know how many people have gotten refreshing rest from your fellowship and godliness? Keep giving it. Love up on the people of God. Strengthen them. Give them rest. Okay? Do you know how much rest Judy and Joel have gotten visiting you? Oh, it's like gives them their sanity back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for precious churches which love your servants. And I pray, Father, that the love of this congregation for the men on the ministry staff here, for their elders who pour themselves out for the sake of the people, will continue. And I pray, Father, that you will cause this church to have an aspiration that is personal and corporate to build the kingdom of God and to spend themselves and their money in the gospel being proclaimed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.